This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Cure for Wellness. There is a sickness inside us. Rising like the bile that leaves that bitter taste at the back of our throats. It's there on every one of you seated around the table. Only when we know what ails us can we hope to find the cure. What do you make of that? Clearly he's lost his mind. Our thoughts exactly. We'd like you to go to Switzerland and bring Mr. Pembroke back to us. What we offer here is a process of purification away from the pressures of the modern world. Your plans to take Mr. Pembroke back with you. Is that a problem? He's a patient, not a prisoner. You here for the cure? No. Actually, I was just leaving. No one ever leaves. Okay, you were just listening to the trailer for A Cure for Wellness, and the story is as follows. A Wall Street stockbroker travels to a remote location in the Swiss Alps to retrieve his company's CEO from an idyllic but mysterious wellness center. He soon suspects that the miraculous treatments are not what they seem. His sanity is tested when he unravels the spa's terrifying secrets and finds himself diagnosed with the same curious illness that keeps all of the guests there longing for a cure. The story stars Dane DeHaan, Jason Isaacs, and Mia Goff. It is directed by Gore Vabinski and written by Justin Haith. Joining me for this review, I have Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. So, Kristen... Let's start off with maybe your expectations going into this movie. Um, when the trailers were first released, uh, what did you make of this uh, film here by visionary director Gore Verbinski, as the <laughs> ads proudly proclaimed? Which we're going to talk about because I'm currently watching another movie with visionary director Gore Verbinski behind the helm, actually directed by the or written by the same person. You can oh, usually, what's that? I'm not going to admit to what it is on air because it's horrible. Um, IMDb <laughs> will be your friend there. Um, but anywho, so I love I love the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Of course. Directed by Gore Verbinski. Yeah, absolutely. Directed by Gore Verbinski. Great movie. I even like his remake of The Ring. Yeah, and um, if I'm going to just throw out another one out there, um, I also like Mouse Hunt. Oh, that's it. That is a weird one, and I I think I like that. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was that was a, a weirdo one. But um, 
I don't know what he's been doing with his time lately, and it's definitely been weird. Um, I think he's got a really great visual eye. This movie looks beautiful. Um, I, I mean, the, the director of photography here has some beautiful shots. You have this, you know, fantastic Swiss Alps location, these huge vistas, um, this really great throwback to kind of gothic horror 1970s um, psychological terror type of films, which again, really, really great. Yeah, and it was definitely something that the trailer indicated um, was going to be probably a huge selling point. I mean, these visuals are really well composed and definitely have a degree of, what's the word I'm looking for here? Effort behind them, I guess is the word. There I would are say. some scenes that I, I say have almost like a painterly quality to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, everything is very, you know, it's not a lush color palette in that it's bright, but it's very Oh, no, rich. it's very desaturated for sure. Yeah, and it's it's really great. Um, this The cinematographer is Bojan Bazelli, in case anybody's curious, and it looks beautiful. My problems are it's way too bloated. It is oh, yeah. way too goddamn long. It is two and a half hours, and it feels every bit of it much like another Gore Verbinski movie that I'm currently watching which is also two and a half hours um I don't get Dane DeHaan I don't get him I don't get why he's a thing I find him very boring he's very boring in this movie um but the last 30 minutes are balls out utter insanity and I was sitting there thinking where the hell was this movie the whole time? Um, because, I mean, much of the movie feels like kind of a step and repeat where Dane DeHaan's character Lockhart will find something and it'll be like, oh, this is troubling. And then he'll go to investigate it. And then that just kind of ends. And then he'll find something else that's really frightening. And he'll go to investigate it. So it, after, you know, like the eighth or ninth revelation, you just kind of want somebody to start wrapping things up and start putting these threads together. And I was sitting there thinking, I wasn't bored to the point that I was checking my phone or I, I wanted to leave, but I was sitting there thinking, this is way too long. We need to have some story here because I really think it does. The story, what little there is that exists, all kind of culminates in this like exposition dump at the end that again, would have been really interesting if it had been maybe the whole movie. Um, but as it is, I think it's like one third of an okay film. <laughs> so I apologize, by the way, uh, for you having to sit through The Lone Ranger, uh, which I put two and two together on that one. Um, and Do not judge me. I have my fucked up reason. <laughs> I, I know you like Army Hammer. I get it. Um, but here's the thing. Gore Verbinski, he makes the Pirates of the Caribbean's films. They kind of get more indulgent as they go oh, along. Oh, so indulgent. They're so terrible as they go go further. Like, the second one is, like, good and bad. The third one's just bad, in my opinion. Then you have a film like uh, The Lone Ranger, which is just, like, absolutely insane. Same color palette, too, I noticed. Oh, yeah, and it's completely bloated, as you said before. Um, Rango, which he won an Academy Award for, is That's actually cute. good. That's cute, but it's still very weird. There's this, like, weird... And I'm all for Gore Verbinski embracing his inner bizarre person, you know, but even Rango has these really weird adult sensibilities to them 
that even an adult is going to be like, well, that's odd. <laughs> well, here's so here's the thing with this film now um, is that I think he's like a director at this point in his career where much like with the Lone Ranger, he was given way too much power, way too much control and didn't know when to say no. Now with this movie, it's like, okay, we're going to give you less of a budget. But it's like the same problems are still there. Yeah. He doesn't know when to say no. And it's just like, I'm going to throw everything at the screen. I'm going to throw everything at this runtime, which to your point, bloated, long, arduous. It moves at a snail's pace, in my opinion. Very, very, very much so. That by the time we get to the final reveal in the film in the third act, which we'll get into in, in the spoiler section. Which I'm not kidding, is completely batshit. Oh, it's like Macabre horror. It's uh, it's totally insane. But it, it, so there's a couple problems is that the payoff is unsatisfying. It's unfulfilling because one, the twist of what the cure actually is that everybody's talking about, the cure for wellness. Did it make sense to you? Because I felt that it was totally nonsensical. Oh, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever within reality, and it's also very predictable, in my opinion, as well. I was going to say within the context of the movie, because there comes a point, and I'm going to be very oblique so I don't want to spoil anything, but we can talk about it more in the spoilers. There comes a point where the cure is revealed, and I didn't know what they were talking about. I was sitting there thinking, like, they're just saying words. I don't understand how anything that's preceding this reveal makes sense. How does this explain characters disappearing? How does this explain what happened here? I just, I, it literally seems like they were backed into a corner and were like, oh God, we actually need to answer what the hell this is. It's like watching an episode of Lost, only you you don't really understand how they got from A to B and it still makes no sense. <laughs> you know what it ultimately is at the end of the day? This is Shutter Island light, in my opinion. There's a lot, and you know, we can talk about references, because there are so many movies this this movie is relying that you know and that especially you like and that hopefully you'll like this there is a heavy reliance on tropes this is like horror 101 almost weird foreign setting with aryan-esque characters who, <laughs> it's always got to be aryan-esque uh slavic or yeah. it's always got to be it's like, always got to be like europe is terrifying never visit you have yeah. uh uh Good, They're not you know, just the villains in action films like Die Hard. They're also the villains in, in horror, horror movies. Films as well. uh, you have a dapper Englishman who is just like super cool and knows all the answers. Definitely here. You have a little girl saying la 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 on the soundtrack. Okay. Oh, that that child singing over the soundtrack, like in the opening and things yeah. like that. I found that to be so so. Stupid. I thought so we were like, watching it, the beginnings of a Tim Burton movie, almost. Um, and there are so many scenes directly from other movies. Um, you know, you you mentioned Shutter Island. I saw Soylent Green. I saw Mar. There mm. is a scene ripped directly from Marathon Man, which Marathon Man is one of my favorite movies. And I was sitting there thinking, you are not Laurence Olivier, good sir. Nope. And also, too, just the uh, overall sheer terror of that scene. There was never a moment in this movie, um, and I'll use that scene as an example, because I think that's meant to be the most cringe-inducing uh, scene as far as horror goes. There was never a moment in this movie where I was, like, you know, felt creeped out or I was, you know, 
losing my mind at the horror elements. And really. much, much just... like I said with, with Gold, when we reviewed Gold, look at both scenes and look at how they use horror. Marathon Man uses horror based on sound and based on camera angles. There's close-ups. You look at Dustin Hoffman's face as the, the drill comes closer to his mouth. There is a build-up, and it's a visceral terror. Here, the camera is far away. There is no build-up to it. It's just you you know what's going to happen. Mouth plus sharp object equals pain. And then it cuts to the next scene where Dane DeHaan is missing a tooth, a whole tooth, and my audience started laughing. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there thinking, I do not think that's the intent here. Um, they even steal, if anybody is a millennial who watched Are You Afraid of the Dark when you grew up, they stole the oh, yeah. episode, The Dangerous Soup. The plot of the whole fucking movie is that that episode right there. I'm not even and kidding. You mentioned before, why is Dane DeHaan a thing? Um, I'd like to point out that he is really good in a film that's uh, very underappreciated called The Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, which okay. Really, really, really kind of kickstarted his career. Next thing you know, he's Harry Osborn in Spider-Man 2. And it's so funny because I think his character in this movie is a direct ripoff of that character. You stole um, a line that I actually wrote in my review of this movie. <laughs> did I really? Yeah, I said he's no different than Harry Osborn in Spider-Man. He has every line like he's a petulant teenager, irritated that he has to go do his t- so annoying I'm not believing this kid is a stockbroker because he looks five still. Um, hell, he probably is. Um, you know, there's no sense of emotion in his performance. I didn't get any personality in the character. Nope. He's just the straight man. He's the blank slate sent to go do something. And I think the movie wants it to be like this like heart of darkness, apocalypse now type of thing. And it doesn't come off. And that is with everybody in this movie. Mia Goth, I've never seen her in anything. Um, I know she's Shia LaBeouf's girlfriend. That's it. Um, you know, she's she's got big eyes. She's got pale skin. She's She looks like Shelley Duvall. She is. She does look like Shelley Duvall. She's the princess of this movie. But, and we can explore more of why I think the character is awful. But there's no, there's a very clear reason. She's the Smurfette of this movie. And all that that implies. The only person that I loved with any any sense of rationality in this movie is Jason Isaacs. I, yes, I totally agree. You and I have talked about this. We're both Jason Isaacs fans going back to, like, The Patriot. Yep. Um, and I, he's too good for this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he's the best element about it, uh, other than the visuals. He actually, I think, very, very much understands the kind of movie that this is. Yeah. And he, it's not that, like, his performance has, like, a degree of campiness in it, but what I really, I would really disagree, is, like, but I, I think he embraces the camp by the end. I think it's subtle, subtle campiness. Um, and I and I agree with you by the end. I'm talking about, like, in the lead-up to that. Yeah. And what I also like about in the lead-up to the reveal in the third act is I love that we, the audience, there, there's one scene in particular where um, he confronts uh, Dane DeHaan's character, and uh, Dane DeHaan is, like, kind of freaking out. He's, like, wielding a weapon at him. And we, the audience, actually have, for the first time ever, a moment of, is this guy really a good guy, or is he really the villain? And it's, like, the one moment where I thought the movie was actually working, because we are trying to figure out what's real, what's not, um, is it all in Dane's, uh, you know, head throughout the whole movie? 
And so I thought Jason Isaacs uh, walked that fine line of being that gentleman with sinister qualities about him very, very well. Yeah, and, and I know most people that know me are going to say, you could have really had, like, any of my favorite Englishmen this movie and it would have worked. I mean, sure. Jeremy Irons seems like a fit for this movie. Jared Harris would have been just as, like, utterly batshit in this film. But, but yeah, Jason Isaacs has this, this personality and this charm for this movie that he's not particularly threatening. You know, you see Jeremy Irons in Assassin's Creed and you're thinking, like, villain. Boom, right off the bat. No question. Okay, uh, Jason Isaacs at least gives you that kind of false sense of security for a little bit. Um, that, that, you know, maybe... And I wish the movie had played with that more. The ambiguity is Dane DeHaan's Lockhart. Is, is he crazy? Is he not? You know, I, I don't think the movie does that well because everything is played so straightforward. Oh, yeah. There's no sense of even questioning whether what we're seeing might be a lie in terms of Lockhart misrepresenting things. Much like Shutter. I mean, you watch Shutter Island, the twist in that movie, and I, I don't think Scorsese achieves it 100%. I think Dennis Lehane's book does it better. But you're being told certain things in Shutter Island by both characters, by all the characters in the movie. And they're kind of this house of cards that's twist upon twist. In, in this, there's really no sense of, other than Dane DeHaan's character having everything either proved right or wrong, there's no sense of playing with, with that in terms of having an unreliable narrator. You know what I really did like, though, um, in terms of just kind of playing with audience emotions? I really, really dug the production design of this movie and how yes. it is a, mo- a film set within the modern day, but... The production design evokes a feeling of that this could be taking place in like the 50s or the 60s. Uh, I go even further back. I got, you know, 30s, 20s, teens, you could go. I mean, it's got a very timeless aesthetic to Mm -hmm. it. And even a dash of uh, Phantom of the Opera when we get to the uh, third act. (laughs) (laughs) I had to laugh at that so hard. Um, But yeah, I mean, the lead up, well, we're going to talk about the end because I know a lot of uh, specifically women hate the end. And you know what? I get it. We're going to talk about why I supported it for a while. Um, But... But yeah, watching watching this movie, the overarching feeling is supposed to be like pendulousness, ominousness, like crushing you with just the the feeling of terror. And I never really got that. Great example, The Ring. Okay, I know I've never seen the original um, uh, version of The Ring. I've seen the Gore Verbinski version of The Ring, and that movie also has the same desaturated color palette. Okay, he's not really doing much different there but that movie aside from being remarkably shorter is able to play with the ominous tone in how demoralized the characters look and this oppressive environment that's helped by the fact that it's set in a modern day city you know you're able i think that movie even though hell it's set in the world of vhs tapes it still takes that ominous tone and is able to work with it to keep the audience on edge yeah and it was also like a degree of um uh like a narrative device of uh, a timeline 
seven days, right? Yeah. And there was like a ticking time bomb element to it. With this film, there's no real buildup in terms of like a timeline. It's just Dane DeHaan going from place to place, exploring uh, new areas of the wellness center and discovering, uh, you know, new keys to the mystery. And it gets to a certain point where when he gets to like an underground cave where the film is over the two hour mark and it's like, come on already. Like, I am so over this. Can we like start ratcheting up the pace here and the tension a little bit better? It, it just does not successfully land all that well. Um, aside from a couple of elements that I think we've done a good job of highlighting here. But let's get into now uh, the spoiler section at this point. Uh, and then we'll reveal our final thoughts, grades, and end it that way. So let's kick off with spoilers. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Okay, this is the spoilers for A Cure for Wellness. If you don't want to know our thoughts any further, please leave at this very moment. Or you could skip to the very, very end to hear our final thoughts and grades. Whatever the case may be, we're now about to dig into spoilers. Final warning. So, Kristen, we find out that the cure is ultimately long-lasting life. I'm not so sure if it's immortality, but it's going to make everybody live longer. Yes, but, they... but how do they get that again? Because that's what I was curious about. They extract it from uh, fucking eels, <laughs> which is, like, so weird. Yeah, they put they put Dane Han in, like, this iron lung, and then they shove eels down his throat, and that's supposed to... Take it. That's why I got the dangerous soup connection because it seemed like they were taking their life force from the people and then just sipping on that. To I, well, it's I like was you know, so what confused. it is, is. They're making everyone okay. So what they're doing is they're sucking away the life of people so that they can live longer. Uh -huh. Um, and in turn, I believe they too. Either, either they die quicker or they live longer as well and everybody becomes dependent upon the cure and that's why nobody ever wants to leave. It makes no fucking sense. That it, sounds it like, doesn't. yeah, it, it makes no sense. It, literally, the Sanderson sisters potion and Hocus Pocus had more logic behind it than that. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, It like baffled my mind so much. I was trying very, very hard to like... Because I like, like I said in the in the review, I figured out what the cure was. Like, you could pretty much figure out what the cure is about fifteen minutes into this movie. Because the opening, yeah, of the movie where um, Bill Morris, the top sales guy, at the company, has a heart attack, he dies. That's like the theme of the movie right there. Is these people are all just trying to prevent their ultimate death. Oh, you know, and, and that's something that nobody can stop. So. You know, once you kind of put two and two together with that, uh, I would say about 25 minutes into the movie, at least, if you got half of a brain, you could figure out that the cure is, like I said, longevity, not immortality. Or maybe it is immortality. I, they really I, don't really, really come out and sure. say. That's where we get the Phantom of the Opera connections that, that come through. I mean, it. we've seen the immortality storyline play out in countless movies. It makes no sense here, and I paid attention, and I'm still asking, like, but but why? Why does that do... You cannot tell me 
you can't tell me that, oh, well, they're drinking this stuff and it causes immortality without telling me, like, what's with the eels? What's with keeping people in these weird, like, stasis chambers underwater where they're dead but not dead? Yeah. I, I'm not really... What do you expect from the fucking guy who wrote Lone Ranger? I don't know. I don't know what I expected. I A bare modicum of intelligence, I guess. You know, there's, there's one line of dialogue in this movie where... Um, Lockhart is asked by um, an, a patient at the facility, "Do you like puzzles?" And he says, "Not really." And it sums on up a, the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it pretty much does. Like we, the audience, don't like puzzles because the payoff is not good. <laughs> well, <laughs> you and, know? and the thing is, is that this is like a puzzle where, at the end of it, you have a piece that doesn't fit. So the screenwriter is just like, fuck it, we're going to make this. And he proceeds to pound it into the freaking puzzle so it'll fit. Like, that's how the, the third act plays out. I, that being said, when it turns into, I'm going to take the young girl into my subterranean um, water lair, it becomes the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera. Because you find out, you mentioned, you didn't you didn't throw out the the caveat of this movie that, of course, Jason Isaacs has looked like Jason Isaacs for, you know, like, centuries or something. I, I Oh, know. I know. He doesn't, he doesn't age. Yeah, he doesn't age. Literally, the character in the movie, I, although Jason Isaacs doesn't age. Um, yeah, that's, you know, that's exactly the, what I the mean. The <laughs> character in the movie has, like, been around since, like, the 1800s, and it goes back to this stupid story that they keep repeating ad nauseum about how the house was owned by, like, a baron and a baroness who were brother and sister, and they were trying to have a child but she was infertile because apparently the incesty thing was trying to um make itself known and it turns out through again a series of machinations that make no sense that mia goth is the the child that resulted from this like brother sister love um and i'm i love the people under the stairs okay you know what i am not against a movie that's gonna throw in like weird brother sister fuckery but this movie makes no sense with it because Mia Goth is the child, and she goes into town for, like, ten minutes, and it turns into, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, because she gets her period or something. I don't know if, like, being around other women all of a sudden just turns the faucet on, but she gets her period, and, like, Jason Isaac's character, who, again, you find out when she's always talking about, like, my dad's gonna come see me when I'm better... Y'all know, much like, you know, any movie where they say, like, we couldn't get the actor to come back, so the character's, like, right around the corner, um, you find out Jason Isaacs is her dad, and so because she's had her period, that's, like, means she's good, she's DTF, and I'm sitting there thinking, where did we go wrong in this movie? (laughs) Oh, um, I can tell you right now, the minute where it has by far (laughs) the creepiest finger-smelling scene... I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I will say, um, okay. is where I said this movie has just shit its way down the toilet at this point. For I me. will say, okay, so Mia Goth's character is, is the princess, and pretty much it's reliant on her. The character is reliant on being a virgin, and there is a nude scene in this movie that is a little too authentic for my comfort. That's where I was it is like, a little, it is definitely creepy and pushing is, the boundaries a little bit, especially considering I was. Very, very curious while watching it. How old is this girl? Yeah. That's what freaks me out the most. Great, great example. We couldn't shoot the uh, the tooth pulling scene in close up, but we can shoot the sexual assault in like medium shot. So what are you talking about? They definitely showed the uh, drill going into the tooth in close up. 
Oh, maybe I was just looking away because I don't like that shit. But um, yeah, no, they definitely showed that. Oh, for sure. oh my mistake. Um, either way, still, still, the camera's a little too close. But either way, I was when it became the Phantom of the Opera. I'm with face ripping, and meets eyes wide shut. And by the way, second movie, capes are back. I am so for this. Um, when it became that, and just was like this bizarre grand guignol. A theatrical movie where Jason Isaacs is like trying to commit rape on his daughter and first he commits to it like a champ um and then like proceeds to have his face ripped off and is like fighting I was I was kind of there for that I was like where was this movie that just oh. embraced I was there for the weird ass why does he not have a face on? Why are we, like, fighting? I was waiting for, for the Phantom of the Opera music to start playing. No, because it no. was just utterly insane. And I think, for me at least, had the movie just embraced its inner... Ba- like, okay, we're just gonna have all manner of, like, weird depressed... We're gonna turn this movie into Caligula. I'd have been, like, okay, I don't think it would have been any better, but I'd have been like, you know what... I plot the. I, I'll give you a golf clap. I'll give you a golf clap. No, because when he basically becomes the Terminator in the final scene, <laughs> he's walking around all robotic like. All of a sudden, he has superhuman strength, which I guess he's been working out for over a century. I, I like. I just don't understand any of that element of it. Um, it, it just became too ridiculous for me and from a tonal standpoint, it did not fit the rest of the movie as far as I was concerned because I kind of felt that the you know, first couple parts of this movie, uh, we're trying to be a little bit more grounded to a certain degree, at least. I mean, I don't know. I mean, and that's the that's the problem. Walking away from this movie, I'm not exactly sure what tonal balance Gore Verbinski was trying to reach. And all I can conclude is that he wanted to make a movie that looked cool and was a comment on life and death, which uh I'm not even sure its intended audience is going to get that much out of it when all is said and done here. Not to mention, they have to throw in a subplot um, revolving around Lockhart's father, who killed himself because of this company, and yet Lockhart is working in the same freaking industry. And I, I just like, they're trying to do like this whole survivor's guilt thing with him, which just doesn't work and it just further confuses the story it doesn't highlight his character more which by the way as you pointed out as i um i'm about to point out is completely unlikable he's an unlikable character he's a petulant teenager who does not want to clean his room it just doesn't make sense altogether the the pieces do not add up to a cohesive whole when all is said and done I'm only 20 minutes into The Lone Ranger, and all I can hope for is that at the end, we get a really batshit, like, rapey ending. Like, that's all I can hope for, I guess. Um, I'm probably going to end up comparing these two. These sound like they're going to be kissing cousins for me watching watching this after talking about A Cure for Wellness. <laughs> well, let's uh, wrap it up here. What are your final thoughts on A Cure for Wellness? <sighs> Great out of 10, and dare I ask, any Oscar potential? Okay. Gore, if you're listening, and I'm assuming you are, <laughs> stop. You know, there's nothing wrong with making a movie a buck forty-five. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I think had the movie been about an hour and forty-five minutes tops, it would have been fine. Okay, 
So Gore Verbinski needs to trim, like trim it down. There is nothing wrong with a lean movie. And stop working with the guy who's writing your scripts because apparently he doesn't know how to write. Um, and I still don't get why Dane DeHaan is a thing. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm not going to see it. Um, but overall, I, I wasn't bored. I will say I was not bored in the sense like when I watched Rogue One, and I'm sure somebody is like just clutching their pearls right now. Um, but <laughs> I was I was not as bored as I was watching Rogue One. Maybe because the movie looks gorgeous. There's a weird attempt to throw back to kind of the weird again gothic horror films of the 40s and the 70s, especially the English ones. That I was kind of interested in seeing what was going on. If anything. The script throws in just, like, bizarre shit from somebody who's obviously never been to Switzerland. Like, why is everybody in this Swiss Swiss town low rent? Why are there neo-Nazi punks that look like they were extras from Green Room in this movie? I don't know. Um, So, I mean, it's a weird novelty that I cannot say if you rent it. You're going to be sitting there thinking, huh, this is a thing that exists. This is really weird. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, it is a beautifully filmed failed experiment. Um, but Jason Isaacs is always fun. So I, I can't say that it was a total waste of my time. Um, in terms of Oscar predictions, I'll be nice. Maybe a production design. Maybe a cinematography if, like, nothing good ever comes out again ever (laughs) this year. Um, so, yeah, those are, like, the only two that I would ever give it a pass to um and grade out of 10 i was a bit higher on it when i saw it two weeks ago and since then my i've really come down on it i'm gonna give it a five all right because i refuse to comment on this movie anymore (laughs) other than to say that my favorite scene of the entire film is the car crash sequence (laughs) which i actually thought was pretty visceral and intense and yeah better better or worse than 10 cloverfield lane though um, better, in oh, my opinion. Oh, I could disagree with you on that. I w- I, I had uh, flashbacks to uh, Let Me In, the Matt Reeves oh, uh, yeah, car yeah. crash scene, which I thought was pretty neat in some ways. Um, but anyway, like when when that's like my my main highlight and like my, my favorite scene in the whole movie. There's a problem here. Um, so Oscar potential is a big hell no on my part. I, I appreciate Kristen you uh, giving it some uh, level of um what's the word i'm looking for credibility here? So, credibility yep because i just can't find it within my body to do so and keep in mind um, that's that's if no other movie ever comes out that's any good in either of those categories yeah yeah absolutely i mean this isn't the worst film i've seen this year and no. it probably will, won't be considered that but it's a it's a failed uh experiment in my opinion so it's gonna get a three out of ten from me Kristen, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, if you want to send me uh, why the hell do you watch bad movies tweets, you can do that at journeys underscore film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to this review of A Cure for Wellness on the Next Best Picture podcast, where you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player FM. Be sure to leave us a review as well on iTunes. We would really, really, really appreciate the feedback. And we will see you all next time.
It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.